This is a sermon from New City Presbyterian Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. To learn more about New City or to hear more sermons in this series, visit newcitycincy.org. Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Psalms, chapter 45. You can find it on page 471 in the Bibles in your rows if you'd like to follow along as I read. Psalm 45. My heart overflows with a pleasing theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe. You are the most handsome of the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword on your thigh, O mighty one, in your splendor and majesty. In your majesty, ride out victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach you awesome deeds. Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. The peoples fall under you. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Your robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. From ivory palaces, stringed instruments make you glad. Daughters of kings are among your ladies of honor. At your right hand stands the queen in gold of Ophir. Hear, O daughter, and consider and incline your ear. Forget your people and your father's house, and the king will desire your beauty. Since he is your Lord, bow to him. The people of Tyre will seek your favor with gifts, the richest of the people. All glorious is the princess in her chamber, with robes interwoven with gold. In many-colored robes, she is led to the king, with her virgin companions following behind her. With joy and gladness, they are led along as they enter the palace of the king. In place of your fathers shall be your sons. You will make them princes in all the earth. I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, nations will praise you forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, New City. My name is Ryan Zhang. I'm one of the pastors here. I have to admit, friends, it's been a very hard sermon to write this week because it takes a lot of humility to acknowledge that when the psalm says in verse 2, you're the most handsome of the sons of men, he's not talking about me. (laughs) What? I can't help it, you know. Every day I look at the mirror, I think, oh, Psalm 45. (laughs) But unfortunately, it's not about me. Psalm 45 is a psalm of praise for a king. At the occasion of his royal wedding, the title of the psalm says, A Love Psalm. Now, for many of you, your relationship with this psalm may be like your relationship with any other modern-day royal weddings. It's amusing to look at, right? You know, oh, look at the chariot. Look at her pretty dress. Look at those interesting hats. It has nothing to do with your life. It's like peering into an alternative reality into someone else's life that's so different from yours. 
And then when the wedding's over, you snap back to your own reality. Well, even though Psalm 45 reads just like another royal wedding, it's much more personal than that. My goal today is to help us to make this psalm our own prayer, but not only that, I want us to live in this psalm. So Allah will write on the identity of this king. So kids, let's play a game of guess who, okay? You're going to help me find out who is this king of Psalm 45. Well, let's look at the clues in the Psalms. Just like in guess who, let's ask some yes and no questions. Is this king handsome? Yes. It says he's the most handsome of the sons of man. Is this king nice? Yes. It says grace is poured upon your lips. Is this king blessed? Yes. It says God has blessed you forever. Is this king a great warrior? Yes. It says gird your sword on your thigh, O mighty one. In your majesty, ride out victoriously. Your arrows are sharp in the hearts of the king's enemies. The peoples fall under you. Now, not only that he is a great conqueror, he fights for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. He fights on the good side. He fights for justice and truth. Is he a righteous ruler? Yes. It says, the scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. This is a portrait of an ideal king in Israel's history. Maybe not just in Israel's history, but in all of human history. Right? This is the best type of rulers that anyone can hope for. And the psalm says all these nice things about him because it's a toast at his wedding. Just like the best man's speech in our weddings, you say all kinds of nice things about groomsmen, about the groom to congratulate him on his weddings. Now let's look at the bride. She's the queen and gold of Ophir. The king would desire her beauty. The people of Tyre, that means the king's allies, would seek her favors with gifts. <clears throat> She's all glorious in her chamber, with robes interwoven, interwoven with gold. In many color robes, she is led to the king, with her bridesmaids following behind her. Now she is being led to the king. She is walking down the aisle. It conjures the image of the first wedding, you know, when God brings Eve down the aisle to meet Adam. So who is this king? Well, just like in Guess Who, let's figure this out by a process of elimination, all right? We know he's not Pastor Ryan, unfortunately. Could this be David, the great warrior king? Or could it be Solomon, the wise king with 700 wives, who turns out to be also a good writer of love songs? But were there a few, a few more clues that could help us here? Look at the title of the song. It says, A Masculine of the Sons of Korah. But who are the sons of Korah? Now we got to do another mystery, right? Another guess who. Let's do a little bit of Bible study here on this mystery. Because some of the most fascinating stories are hidden in the details of the Bibles, of the Bible. Now, how many of you like to read First Chronicles? First Chronicles, right? It's the book with all those genealogies that we all like to skip over, right? 
Well, it says this in First Chronicles. These are the men whom David put in charge of the service of the sun in the house of the Lord after the ark rested there. They ministered with songs before the tabernacle of the tent of meeting until Solomon built the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. Heman, the singer of the sons of Joel, son of Samuel, son of Elkanah, blah, 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 son of Korah. And all these descendants of Korah were singing and playing music on the day when David brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. So that would be natural to assume that the sons of Korah wrote Psalm 45 to praise David or his son Solomon. But there are some more clues here. Now let's look back in Psalm 42. What does it say before Psalm 42? If you flip back a few pages, we'll see a few things. It says book 2. Now that means it's a new collection of psalms, of prayers. And we see the author, the sons of Korah. And in fact, Psalms 42 to 49 are all written by the sons of Korah. And this psalm, Psalm 45, is actually kind of a turning point in this collection. But it didn't say anything about David's glory. Instead, you can look back, Psalm 42 says something like this. These things I remember as I poured out my soul, how I would go out with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. They remember the days when they used to lead worship in Jerusalem. But now that's all changed. They've been displaced. When do I, why do I go mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Or look at Psalm 44 from last week. But you have rejected us and disgraced us and have not gone out with our armies. You have made us turn back from the foe and those who hate us have gone spoiled. You have made us like sheep for slaughter and have scattered us among the nations. You have sold your people for a trifle, demanding no high price for them. You have made us the town of our, the town of our neighbors, the derision of, and scorn of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations, a laughingstock among the peoples. So these are the prayers of a people defeated, displaced. Now if they were thinking about David and Solomon, then they've been sorely disappointed because both of them failed these people. They failed Israel. They both suffered defeats as a consequence of their sins. The psalmist looking for an even better king than David and Solomon to lead them back to victory again, to restore their kingdom, to fight for truth, righteousness, and meekness. But they want a king who can rule with justice. And they want a king to have many sons, who can rule on his behalf so his kingdom would last for generations and generations. But there's no king in the Old Testament that will fit the description of the psalm. Then who can it be? Well, let's look at the clues again. <clears throat> he's handsome. He's blessed. He's a warrior who fights for truth, justice, and, right, and meekness. He rules with righteousness. Well, here are some more details from Psalm 45. Let's look at verses 6 to 7. Verse 7. Therefore God, your God, 
has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Now, all the kings were anointed, right? Even King Charles in England was anointed a few months ago in his coronation. But this king is anointed beyond your companions. He stands out above all the other kings. He is the anointed one. You know what the Hebrew word for anointing is? It's Marshak, which we get the word Messiah. And even though he's a human king, verse 6 identifies him as God. And it says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. Now, who can we think of that carries the title Messiah and also claims to be both man and God? Jesus, right? Thank you very much. Come on, people. And the book of Hebrews in the New Testament confirms this because in Hebrews 1, it quotes these two verses in Psalm 45 to describe Jesus. So there we have our answers. Now, Jesus is the king that these displaced, defeated, dejected sons of Korah have been looking for. But there's something odd about that. Did Jesus conquer anything? No. He didn't shoot any arrows at his enemies. That's why people were disappointed in him. Because he was not a great warrior in a traditional sense. Did Jesus have a family? No. He was never married. He has no sons or daughters to to propagate his rule. Was Jesus handsome? No. Isaiah's prophecy says he was the opposite of handsome. He had no form of majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Was he blessed? No. He was crucified on a cross, cursed. Because the Old Testament says, curse is anyone who hangs on a tree. He didn't conquer, he was conquered. Now, how could this be the king of Psalm 45? Now, who wouldn't want a king like the one in Psalm 45, right? That's why we have elections every four years, so that we could have a chance to choose a better leader. Is there anyone who could bring peace to our wars, to rescue us from forest fires, to punish evil dictators and corrupt politicians? Is there anyone who can protect our children, check human greed, Eliminate poverty. Now, we have problems too. But we may not like to acknowledge that we are also the problems. We want a king to conquer our enemies, but we may not want to acknowledge that we are the king's enemies. If Jesus had come like a conquering king, the arrows would have pierced our hearts. For example, right, our senior pastor Pastor Josh is on sabbatical. Now imagine while he's gone, the four of us assistant pastors have been secretly plotting a rebellion against him. Okay? We shored up support from the church members. We set up our church budget. We erased him from the church website. We took over his office. But then one day, I have a huge fight with all the other three pastors. I do not like the way they're running this rebellion. 
So I'm going to run my own rebellion, do it my way. And I pray that when Josh comes back, he will come with power and justice and wrath, and he will smoke the other three guys because they don't agree with me. What do you think will happen when Josh comes back? He's not going to be any less angry with me just because I chose to rebel differently. He's going to smoke me too because I also rebelled against him. And by the way, Josh, if you're here or you're listening, none of this is happening, okay? Just an analogy. We're looking forward to have you back. You may not think you're a rebel. You've been good. You're not like them. Those thieves, those haters, those racists, those sexually immoral, those Democrats, or those Republicans. But we're all rebels. It runs in our DNA. Now, to borrow another example from another pastor, let's say your parents have given you everything your life, a lovely childhood, nice clothes, a great education. And after you grew up, you said, you know, I don't want to do anything with you anymore. And you cut off communication with them. And they gave you everything, but you cut them off in your life. Now, you may still be a good citizen. You don't steal. You don't kill. You pay your taxes. But that doesn't make you any less of a rebel. And that's what makes us all the same before God. You may be a good or bad, but when we turn away from God and start building our lives without Him, we all become rebels. We all become displaced from the source of life and love. And the only justice that we deserve is His judgment. So one day, Jesus will come back to restore all things like the king in Psalm 45. But before then, he came to conquer our hearts with his weakness. He came like one of us, ugly, broken, displaced, so he can lift us up. He's displaced from his heavenly throne. And even on earth, he wandered around like a homeless man. His body was broken. His, high was, his side was pierced. He is cursed by man and by God. He is nothing like the king we see in Psalm 45. Because we can't bear to see a king like one in Psalm 45. We deserve what, just, what Jesus went through. But he took it for us. So that we can be reconciled to God and be declared righteous. When he rises from the dead, he brings us into his kingdom with him. I've said this before, we are like the sons of Korah, you know, defeated, displaced. And when you're lost in the forest, maps don't help you at all. You know, all the moral teachings and philosophies go out the window. What we, really need, what we really need is a guide, someone to come in from the outside into the forest to find us and lead us out. But to come into the forest... He would have to leave his comfort and be displaced like us. Jesus came. He was displaced. He died, and his resurrection is the way that leads out into a new creation. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So then if you put your faith in Jesus, 
You have embraced him as your savior. You can pray the psalm boldly. You can welcome him into your life as a righteous king because you have been reconciled to God. He will fight for you. If you feel defeated this week, if you you feel worthless and wonder if God cares, if you feel you failed and you need strength, if you've sinned and need a savior, the psalm is for you because it points you to the hope of restoration. Pray this boldly and often let it magnify your hope. If you not embrace Jesus as your Savior, then I hope you could read through the psalm and think about what his righteousness and justice will mean for you. What is your relationship with him? Maybe you don't think you need a Savior, you just need a better job, a better spouse, a more supportive group of friends. But then think again. One morning, my four-year-old daughter woke up around 9 o'clock, and the first thing she shouted was, I'm bored! With all the toys and families and friends to entertain her, she wakes up and she shouts, she's bored. Maybe the problem is not with her toys or with her weather or with her friends or family, it's with her heart. She feels displaced, she feels dissatisfied, and heart needs to find a way home. If you have you still feel displaced. You're wandering through all kinds of toys and careers and relationships. You just feel bored. The psalm may explain why you feel that way. You've been displaced. You've been disconnected from God. And your heart is crying for a king to lead you home. Turn back to God. Christ the king has come to lead you home. Let's not just pray the psalm. Let's live in the psalm. You can join the celebrations because this is a royal wedding. The king is getting married. The psalm pictures a beautiful queen dressed in gold and splendor, being led to the palace to marry the king. So here's another guess who. Who is the king marrying? Who is the bride? By the end of the Bible, it describes a wedding feast between Jesus and his bride. And it says, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. He has granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Who is the bride? It's Jesus' church. It's all of us who have put our faith in him and belong to his church on earth. And our wedding clothes has been granted to us by the king. We are clothed in his righteousness, bright and pure. Revelation 7 says, As I look and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And the author of Revelation asks, Who are these? Clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? And he was told they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Jesus' blood has washed us white as snow. We are robed in his righteousness. 
receive it with gratitude. We did not. We did nothing to earn it. Now, stories like Cinderella, possible in your life. Can you be the next Princess Diana, but with a true happy ending? Or perhaps not. Because in those stories, we at least know that they possess some natural beauty, some great natural beauty that they just needed to wave to be discovered by a prince. But when you look at your moral failures, when you look at your secret sins, when you look at your ugly attitude, would there any way anyone would find you lovable? Maybe not. But there's a king who loves you so much that he provides you with your beauty. He sees your ugly shame and he covers you with a beautiful robe. Jesus has made you beautiful so that you can become his bride. Live in your beauty. Don't put your dirty rags back on. Leave behind your sinful habits and practices. Live into the beauty of Jesus' righteousness. When I saw the Barbie movie last week, I didn't see it by myself, thankfully. My wife already saw it earlier, so I was looking for someone. And gratefully, I could see it with another New City pastor. There's just two of us. It's a great date. And uh, I should not name him because he's on sabbatical right now. But you know the thing I learned about Barbie? Barbie, the doll, looks the same. It's almost all the same, right? It's the outfits and the accessories that matter. You dress Barbie in pantsuits, she's a businesswoman. You dress her in a casual clothes, she's on vacation. You dress her in scrubs, in a white robe, she's a doctor. Those the clothes and accessories that spark the little girl's imaginations as they play with Barbie. So friends, we're all Barbies. We've all been dressed in the righteousness of Christ. Then become like him. Grow into that righteousness. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on a new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. We don't talk about beauties in this way anymore. But that's a type of moral beauty that stands out in our world. As you're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, being renewed in his image, let your moral beauty be undisplayed. Let your light shine in the world because the king is preparing you for a wedding. So live into it. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful that you've dressed us in righteousness because we have dirty rags hanging off us and then we are ashamed of all the failures we have morally, spiritually. We are so rebellious that we have no right to stand before the king because all we deserve is judgment. 
but you clothed us and you brought us into your throne, into your home as your bride so that we could enjoy your presence in the new heavens and new earth forever and ever. Help us now to live into that moral righteousness, into that beauty that you've granted us. Help, help us to be a light in the world, in our office, at home, in our neighborhood, to shine for you and to point people to you, to know that the ways of your righteousness is the way of flourishing, of truth and righteousness and meekness. We pray that you would defend us and help us to grow. Pray all these in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from New City, a church in Cincinnati, Ohio. Visit our website at newcitycincy.org for more sermons and resources. That's newcitycincy.org. Thanks for joining us today, and God bless you.